Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond, and it is June the 26th, 2014. It's a great time of the year. Got the uh, Junior Nationals are going on down in Louisville. Of course, uh, also the uh, BCA Expo uh, trade show is going on down there at the same time. And uh, from what I understand, uh, Team USA, Moscone Cup Team USA is supposed to be down there uh, doing a, a meet and greet at the um, at the convention. So that should be a lot of fun. Of course, also in the headlines is the um, World Nine Ball going on in Qatar. And from uh, also from what I understand, there is some serious upsets going on. Um, Filipinos losing a lot of players. Uh, some of the big names uh, getting booted. And, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting uh, chain of events, uh, to say the least. It'll be interesting to see how that uh, finishes out. So exciting stuff going on. If uh, you know any of the juniors, support them. They're up there uh, working their butt off this weekend. So, anyway, best of luck to everybody. And, um, gee, what are we going to talk about? Uh, well, you know, with the passing of um, Freddie the Beard, uh, we decided to give a shout out to uh, somebody that knew him uh, a little bit better than the rest of us, and that is uh, somebody who's actually spent some time playing with him, uh, Mr. Keith McCready. So we got Keith on the line, and we got Mark on the line, and uh, we had a little chat about it. So uh, stick around, and uh, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Cantrell, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And again, this week I find myself in the spot. We had one final interview for the Moscone Cup team members, or potential members, with uh, Shane Van Borning. And again, this week he's out of the country and not that easy to reach. Yeah. And so we will put that off to, you know, the whenever we can we can fit him in. Sure. Last week, and I appreciate a couple of messages I got asking if I was, why I wasn't on American Billiard Radio last week, and it was the uh, a tribute, basically, to Freddie the Beard, and I didn't know Freddie. That's the problem that I have. I didn't know him. Um, I couldn't talk intelligently, really, about his life, and so I thought I'd better kind of keep myself to myself on it a little bit. Uh, but I do know from everybody that I've spoken to, it was a well-respected, well-known, well-liked man, and my condolences do go out to his family and his friends, and uh, it's a, a great loss to the sport. And having said that, I'm joined with Mr. Bond, Dave Bond, the producer of American Billion Radio, and the eater Keith McCready, the earthquake. <laughs> Are you there, Keith? Yeah, I'm here. How are you guys doing? Doing good, thank you very much. Doing good. Yeah, I've known Freddie probably, uh, oh, I'd have to say uh, 30, 30 years, 30-some uh, probably. And uh, I remember the first time I ever got to play Freddie, I mean, I, we played in a couple, 
little tournaments here or there. We happen to draw each other. But as far as gambling, we played one time over there in Chicago, and uh, uh, we uh, played. Uh, I just got done playing uh, piggy bank, and I was up like a, about a day or a day and a half playing piggy bank, and I broke piggy bank. <laughs> and then I played bugs, and bugs gave me eight to seven playing one uh, playing banks. And Bugs, I drilled him. I beat him like nine one, nine. Or yeah, he was playing me nine to seven, playing banks to Ouch. start out, and then we adjusted the game eight to seven because he had no chance playing the nine to seven. And I beat him <laughs> like seven or eight games in a row, and then after that period of time, there was Freddie, and uh, uh, Freddie asked me to play some, and I was tired, but you know, I, I said, "Are you for real?" You know, and so I got it. You know, I thought it was like going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> but as it, as as the game went on, you know, Freddie just kept banking and banking and banking. I mean, Freddie banked really good, and he had me. We and he wouldn't raise it. We were playing two hundred a game. He had me like sixteen games loser, <laughs> and he wouldn't raise it Oof. because he figured, you know, you. You're going to have to get out the same way you got in. <laughs> and so, needless to say, I came back and uh, uh, I got back about 10 games. And uh, and he quit. And so I, I really got mad at him. You know, but there wasn't much I could really say to him, you know, because, you know, we had been playing a long time. And it was... Uh, you know, probably harder for Freddie to play a real long period of time, you know. And, but I'll never forget it. You know, I mean, Freddie never, ever missed a cross corner and a cross side. Never once. You, it, it was one of those games to where you had to, you know, you had to really leave him a long shot, you know, because once he got around the balls, he'd, he'd run out, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but me and Freddie always got along great. Uh, you know, and I was reading, actually, I was reading on the internet today, and, uh, his, uh, his whole family came on there, and that was pretty nice, and they were thanking everybody, and they were going to keep his legacy still going, and, which is nice, you know, because, uh, me and Jenny ended up, uh, I think getting both copies of his books. We really, we really enjoyed, uh, you know, reading both of his books. I, I read one of them and partly read the other, and I was looking for, Naturally, the you know where he had me in the book and everything, and mm-hmm. but it, it was very well written, and uh, I would urge anybody if they they like pool to uh, go ahead and buy that book because it tells a lot of road stories, mentions a, a lot of players that I can relate to, because right. a lot of those players that he had in that book all was back in the seventies and uh, mm-hmm. the eighties, and yeah. it was really a well written book. I'm, I really had a lot of respect for Freddie, and it was sort of a shame that uh, from the, I heard through the grapevine sort of how he died, and it was, you know, it was a shame that he didn't go, he didn't die from, you know, from what he had, you know. It was all of a sudden, he, you know, it was something else that rushed up there and got him. And yeah, yeah. I was really sad to hear it. You know, everybody's been dropping so quick and so fast lately. It's, yeah. it's, it's really starting to get heart, uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's breaking my heart as, you know, time goes on, you know, it's just sort of wondering how much time 
you know, you really do have left in the tank. You know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. I know exactly and, you know, how you feel. Really sad, you know. And, uh, and I want to wish that uh, his family gets through this, uh, which I think they've, uh, you know, you know, I guess they're through the healing period now, and they seem like they're, uh, you know, well-meant, and they're going to keep it all going for him. So I don't think he'll be too far away, even though, you know, he's... Uh, you know, he's, he's maybe there's, maybe there's, I'm sure that uh, at some point somebody's going to come up with a Freddie the Beard Memorial Tournament there in Chicago. Uh, yeah. I, I would, or, or, or what they should do is, uh, is have a Memorial Bank Pool Tournament right, in his right, name. Right, right, yeah, because absolutely. he, you know, he, he loves to play Banks. And, absolutely. Uh, and one pocket, and but Banks was his game. He, he loved to twist a ball in and uh, stiff one up, and mm-hmm. I play. You know, we him and I went back and forth with uh, different speeches we'd make on each shot. I mean, it was great. It was a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't too much fun when I was 16 games loser and he wouldn't raise it. I mean, I was I was a little bit steaming there, but uh, but it was all good, you know. Yeah. You know, I I, I remember back. There's some been so many games that I played, you know. It's, you know, Freddie was one of those highliners. It was a lot of fun, even though I was a loser. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what more can you say? You know, this we were sort true. of cutting up with each other every time. You know, one another would shoot balls and cutting up with the crowd, and mm-hmm. you know, it was. And 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 then come to find out after the game, you know, I I was told that Freddie had gotten two barrels for two hundred a game. And, you know, that's all he was going to lose. Mm-hmm. He was going to fire two bells. But he played it off like, you know, he was going to, you know, maybe blow, you know, 1,600 or whatever. <laughs> he played good. I mean, I, he played real well. So. Uh, Dave was, uh, you, you were good friends with uh, Freddie, right? Well, I'd, I'd, I, I guess I can't claim the privilege of being good buddies with them but uh we were friends we talked frequently uh, about uh some different you know aspects of the past and uh the things you know the way it used to be i, I really enjoyed talking with him though because of that reason because uh he it, it's hard to find people that can talk authoritatively about that scene you know what i mean unless they were there and Keith is obviously one of those people that it was in it. Uh, Freddie was in it. You know, there's other people. Hey, Keith, hey, Keith, I don't know if you know this, but Dave is he's like he has the Chicago Billiard Museum, uh-huh. and he's really into the history of the game. Oh, he is. Oh, yeah. So things like this mean a lot more to yeah. him than he does sometimes to a lot of other people. Freddie, Freddie would have been the, the perfect. You know, it's it's. Just, I mean, if you could have sat down with Freddie for two or three hours, oh yeah, that would have been, you know, worth a lot. I mean, absolutely. Just, just his uh, just his knowledge and uh, uh, the people he knew, and I mean, he tells he. It's amazing how he remembers all the stories, right? Uh, to right. a tee, you know, mm-hmm. and you know myself. I mean, I mean, I've I've had so many stories I forgot some of them, and then when people talk about them and. You know, I can sort of go back on them, but I totally don't 
remember everything, yeah. and they, you know, a lot of times they'll remember it for me. You know, and <laughs> yeah. sometimes I'll have to play along and act like I remember it. But <laughs> Freddie, Freddie would remember all those things. I mean, yeah. he'd tell you the dates and everything, yeah. and the time you played. I mean, it was right, right, unbelievable. Right. Yeah, he but, was a sharp guy. He really but he would have been real good. He was. He's like Ronnie Allen, you know, like Ronnie Allen. You know, Ronnie Allen was a, a great guy to sit around and talk and, and get some pool stories, you know, from, from the history of the game, like back in the 60s to the 70s to the 80s. Right. And he was a perfect uh, 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 guy to, you know, sort of go back on, on the history, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. It was funny you mentioned that because, like, when I when I was first growing up, like I had like Luther Lasseter, uh, uh, Jimmy Moore, uh, Joe Bosses, and those type of guys, and I would sit and pick their brains, you know. And I would, you know, a lot of times, you know, they wouldn't really wouldn't sit down and talk with you a very long time. But Cowboy Jimmy Moore is one that did. He even I even got to play him in a little exhibition and this and that, and he sort of like took me under his wing and really helped me for. Two or three days and showed me a lot of, you know, just yeah. just, just a lot, there you, you know, and and that really helped me, you know, growing up as you know to, you know, give me some type of guidance to, uh, you know, becoming a, a a champion because that's after I got done with him and 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 dealing with Ronnie Allen, you know, that's that's what I wanted to be and wanted to do in life right. was to you know to to be able to you know get up there and beat the best and. Uh, and uh, uh, and know you could do it, you right. know. That's, that's well. That brings up a good question. You know, actually, that's a great tie-in to what I was going to ask you next. Um, well, well let, you know what? Let's, you know what, Dave? Can we take a quick break? Yes. And we'll come right back into what Keith would just say. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Welcome back to American Bleeding Radio. This is the Legends of Champions Report. I am joined with the Earthquake, Keith McCready. Keith McCready. And Dave Bond. Yes, sir. Yes. And where we left off was Keith had said, boy, it takes to be a champion. And Keith, you've played in a lot of high-stakes money games and things like that, so you know going into it the day before that you're going to be playing for X amount of money against a great player, and you have to prepare for it. So from that point, I will pass it over to Dave because he has a specific kind of question for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's my, here's my question, and, and, it, and it ties to um, getting ready for uh, a big, whether it be a, a tournament event or just a match that's important, whatever the case may be. Um, it, here's I'm going to give you two choices of how to get ready for the match. Do you uh, go out and play in other matches? Um, let's say other tournaments, other money matches, side betting, whatever, what have you. Do you go out and you do you try to meet up, match up to uh, um, you know stiff competition to get ready for it, or? Do you take the same amount of time that you would have taken to do that? And do you go train by yourself where you can concentrate 
and you can do your drills and you can do your exercises and you can do other things in a, uh, let's say, stable environment, unlike that of maybe a bar or a tournament where you might spend, you know, lots of time sitting around. uh, I would, I would say that, uh, in order to do that, you would, uh, uh, I mean, there's different ways to program yourself for a situation like that. Uh, uh, if you're preparing yourself for, say, a big match, uh, you know, say back in back when I was, say, 20 and this and that, uh, 21, you know, a lot of the big matches were all hit and miss deals. You know, people would just come in off on the off and, and would just be side on scenes and you want to play some this and that. You know, the, the preparing yourself came later on, like in, the, uh, I'd say, the 90s. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, what I would do, what I w- would like to try to do, is take get myself over there in the corner, practice all my Englishes, get get a beat on all my Englishes, mm-hmm. get on a, a, a beat on all my feels, to where I can you know be smooth and be you know ready to go before I, I get to play, say, the big game or uh, a big match. I mean, I didn't do it all the time, but I always had real good results when I did do that, and I approached it in that manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because I, I wouldn't get in there, and I would, you know, just say I'd be a little bit rusty starting out, and then I'd get stuck a little bit. And then by the time, you know, if you're playing races or something like said playing tournament matches, well, you 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 it might wake up and it'd be a little too late. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I so, hear you. I, I think I believe when when you have those real tough matches, say playing tournament matches or this or that, I think it's real good for you to get on the off and uh, uh, be by yourself. Uh, either that, what I like to do when I was younger is I'd like to get off by myself, but I'd like to grab me a real good player to stay there with me and yeah. teach me and show me things sure. that I was wasn't quite getting. Right, you know? right. To train on uh, on something specific, you know. Right, and then, and but then once once I mastered all the, the Englishes and all the shots, well, then I really didn't need to. I could take constructive criticism, but I didn't need any help as far as uh, somebody showing me how to do this and right. somebody showing me how to do that. It would have to be a trick shot, you know, because it, yeah. shooting shots for shots, it was real hard for you know. I mean, I don't know anybody that could have you know. Stayed with me as far as all that goes, but uh, <laughs> as far as the other, uh, you know, just maneuvering the cue ball and this and that, and I don't—it's it's just being able to adjust different ball speeds, and because ever there's going to be, you know, like like if you play on this one table, this one table might be wet compared to this other table, so you have to prepare. You know, it's just not getting up there and beating somebody. You have to prepare for different equipment. Like yeah. you might be playing over there in North Carolina or South Carolina, where the humidity is just horrible, where the tables are ringing wet. And it's and, and sometimes you know even if you get up there and practice a couple hours, you know you might not be worth the shit anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But now you get in a pool room where it's air conditioned, this and that, and it's on a new felted table. Well, guess what? Well, now the table looks good. You know, the table's good. The table's going to play good. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So you have to take all those. You have to take 
uh, 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 all those uh, things into consideration sure. with your, you know, with with your practice routine and this and that. And you know, like a lot of times, you would if you're going to try to play a big match for some big money, you want to try to maybe put that guy on some funky ass equipment or some phony equipment. So that's <laughs> where you go over there and practice and make it, and make sure that you practice in that humidity or whatever. Because a lot of guys can't, you know. The game's different, you know, like, yeah. especially like top, especially like a top-notch player. If you're going to play a top-notch player, you want to play him on some type, some type of equipment where he can't run out as easy as he can on, say, like a new Falcon table, big pocket, Bruns, Gold Clown, Brunswick. You, yeah. Do you, right. under, do you feel me? Yeah. Do you oh, understand yeah. what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, so it depends on who you're playing, you know, like if, now if you're playing a, uh, 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 you know, say a dope dealer or a dope dealer's back in a, a pool <laughs> place or this or, this or that. Or, you know, every, every scenario is, you know, going to be different, yeah. you know, as far as that goes. And sometimes you have no choice but because you're playing the money. You know, if a guy, if a backer wants to put up quite a bit of money for a guy, sometimes you don't, there's not enough time for you to say, well, no, I can't play now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to fight. You have to get up there and play sometimes. <laughs> and then when, you know, it's, you know, timing, timing with uh, this and that, it's real important, I guess, you know, as far as making money. But as far as preparing yourself, I believe if you get over there and you knock the balls around a couple hours and, and, and get all your top Englishes, all your center ball Englishes, all your spins and, all your, you know, all your balance points uh, to all these different uh, perpendiculars that are going to come in on the table that you're going to be playing on because it, it all comes into play. Yeah. With, you know, because, yeah, because there's there's a lot of times that a lot of people just use their, 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 uh, their backhand where they hold the poop to you and they keep it just, you know, they just keep it around an area. I like to move it all around because... You know, you have to be able to move it all around. You can't just have it all in one spot because then when the certain shots come up to where you got to slip and slide them and slip and glide them, well, guess what? You're going to be off balance. You're not going to miss them. Well, yeah, I think that's the, the difference there. That And something that I guess that I probably had not really put that much weight uh, uh, behind, but not only do you need the skills – which is what the uh, you know the isolated training would do for you, but you also right. need the ability, like a golf player, to adapt to right. each individual course. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Right. It's like it's like here. It's like Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. Uh, you know when Tiger Woods was playing great. You have to great, adapt. Yeah. Somebody, you know, like if he went over to Torrey Pines, uh, uh, or this or that, or uh, uh, you know some of them golf courses over there in California where he dominated on him, you know, he's not doing that anymore because the equipment's different and this and that. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with golfers. You know, golfers might shoot uh, 69 on this golf course, and yeah. then the next day shoot 83. Right. You know, it's, and yeah, when so, that's, you know, five miles down the road, then you might, you know, have a whole different... Right. So, I mean, that, that goes right there to tell you that the equipment's different, you know? Yeah. sure enough. <laughs> you know, and that's the same thing with the pool table. But, but, uh, what table you play on is very important. Very important yeah. on matching up pool games. Absolutely. Now, if you're playing a weaker player that you're going to get a lot of chances to win, or you're stealing, then it doesn't matter. 
Yeah. You understand? Yeah. But when you're playing a, a tough game and you're you're betting you're betting money, that table and that environment where you're playing at is is it's gonna mean a crucial. lot. Yeah, absolutely. It's very crucial. And uh, if and, and uh, some guys that play real good don't really uh, uh, pay attention to that. But if I'm like say, if I was playing a good player now, well, he, I'm gonna definitely try to put him on some type of equipment. Where he's going to have a tough time on it, where he can't yeah. run as many racks. Right. I mean, it's just, it's right, just right, the way right. it is, you know. And that's the way it was with, you know, people. People years ago would wait for me to be drunk or this or that or, or messed up, and they'd have to wait till I was on my third day to beat me because they couldn't win on the first and second day, <laughs> you know. But maybe, maybe the third day they could. Yeah. There you go. But, All but, right, uh, man. Well, are you going to uh, bring yeah, your? Uh, I think that I think there's I think that there's certain ways to prepare yourself and and I and I believe it's uh, who you're playing and yeah uh, uh, you know and uh, uh, you know uh, the the equipment you know those two things are but as far as practicing I believe if you just get on I think if you practice two you know two hours or two and a half hours before a very important tournament match it's you know you should practice a couple hours. And if you're getting ready for a big game, you might want to, uh, you know, uh, play uh, two, three, four hours uh, the day before and then wake up uh, 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 the next day and get in there and practice a couple more hours before you get ready to go play for the big money. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So. You going to come up to Chicago and uh, and hustle a little bit over here pretty soon? Would I, would I come over there? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'll set you I up. Would, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, we'll have to figure something out, maybe. All right. All right. My old lady has a lot of work here, so we've been sort of, uh, you know, she's. Uh, it's pretty hard for her sometimes to maybe get away. You know, we'd have to figure out something. That's all right. We can just kidnap her and throw her in the trunk, and uh... <laughs> we'd have to figure out stuff. We can Anybody do that. Knows it's Chicago. It, th- this is Chicago. We stuff people in trunks all the time. You know what I mean? It's, I know it. It's yeah, not a big deal. Right. Keith, I've got a question for you. I don't think I've ever asked you this before. What kind of queue do you have? I have, I have, I've, I've got two queues. I've got a uh, old Willie uh, with, with uh, Coca Boa uh, uh, it's really nice too. Uh, uh, I've got uh, uh, I've got a Jack Madden. He made it special for me. I've got that one, and it plays nice. I've I've, I've got probably my keys are probably worth about four grand. So I mean, I'm I'm not clueless, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just wondered. Never never really asked before. You were talking about equipment, and so. Oh, I, just wondered, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of cues that I used to, you know, play with that I, I liked years ago. I mean, I always, uh, I mean, I've had a couple, I've had a good Bobby Hunter before, which is nice. And yeah. I've had a good Kirsten Ball, which makes, is nice. They both made uh, good cues. Yeah, and, I, but I'm, I'm, I mean, for the, for the money right now, as far as what I'm, I'm seeing on the market, I would go with a Bobby Hunter cue right now. Mm-hmm. You know, and just you have you know get a special made with with the balance, 
You know, you always got to have a full balance with a poop you. Mm-hmm. And, and I always like it a little bit skinnier butt, you know, and then have, you know, have one shaft a little bit longer and then, uh, you know, have a, a two uh, shafts, uh, you know, just a little shorter, you know what I mean? Have one a little bit, have one a little bit longer with a longer table for the bar tables than have the other ones, you know. Now, you, you, have you ever been much of a cue collector? Uh, not really. <laughs> When yeah. I was younger, I just, I used to, uh, you know, I'd, cues were like uh, candy, you know. Just, You're right. You know. No, no, it seems like there's a lot of players that are not really cue collectors. It seems like it's the, the people who are enthusiasts that uh, are I mean, more I've, cue collectors. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 have, I have some friends of mine that are uh, cue collectors, you know, that have... I used to have a Zamboni and a Balabuska that was, uh, I know who's got them, you know. <laughs> I'd say my Balabuska right now was a real nice Balabuska. I'd have to say that's probably worth 25 grand now, you know. But. All right, Keith. Well, yeah. I appreciate you taking right, the time to talk to us, man. That was, uh, that was uh, awesome, as as always. And, uh, okay. as for me, I'd like to see you bring your ass over to Chicago so we can uh, beat you up a little bit on the table. <laughs> okay. Mark, uh, uh, go ahead and wrap us up there, Marcus. Yeah. Keith, thank you very much for your time. Uh, okay. as always, I appreciate it. And as far as going to Chicago, you know, <laughs> I, I, listen, I've been trying to get Keith out for a while now. So if it can happen, I'm really, really trying to make stuff happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he knows that. Jenny knows it. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens. We can so, try to work out something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for your input as always, and uh, we'll we'll speak again real soon. Okay. All right. You guys be good. All right. Thank All right, you. Keith. I'll see ya. Well, that's it for this edition of Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Kentrell, joined by Dave Bond, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets on American Billiard Radio. Hopefully, we will all get together again next week, and uh, maybe we'll have Shane next week. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see and see if he's back yet. So, Dave, thank you very much for yes, uh, your involvement in this one. Sure thing. And we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Scott Lee. And Randy G. And welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. This week we're going to be discussing tournament preparation. And uh, Randy, you've had a, quite a successful career as a tournament competitor, uh, 40-some years of, yeah, of playing. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the how does a player best prepare themselves for uh, multi-day versus one day. Multi-day being a day, a tournament where you're going to spend at least one or two nights uh, away from where you live. Yeah, as opposed to going out in the morning and in, in tournament over in, in a day or two days, right? right? 
Um, well, let's let's talk about the what, what I call short tournaments, so the one-day tournaments or, or the two-day tournaments. Uh, maybe only one hotel uh, hotel room. Um, you know, I'll come in. I'm like everybody else. Uh, usually, I'm in my own time zone, so I don't. I, I'm probably within a hundred miles of the tournament or an easy drive to the tournament. So I don't do a lot of preparation. Um, I just make sure that that number one is. I know what game I'm going to play when I get there. All right. I, I think no matter what tournament you go to, you've got uh, four issues to look at. So let me group up, Scott, the first things together here. Okay. There, there are four things that a, that a pool player has to do. Number one, he has to know the rules by which the tournament is being run with. And, and uh, a lot of times there's a player meeting so that you can address any uh, questions Issues, or rules right, that you're not right, familiar with. Right. All right. And number two, you have to be able to read the flow charts or, or the tournament boards. All right. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that, and most tournament directors will help you, but believe me, it's a lot easier if you learn how to read your own tournament flow charts. Number three, you have to understand what time is posted for you to play. It's posted right on your tournament flowchart. Then along with that is number four, what table do I play on? So my very first move at any tournament is to make sure that I get to the flowchart, to find my name, to make sure my registration is there, to find what time I play, what table I play at, and then I, I do my whatever I have to do at that point up to tournament time. Now, on a one-day tournament or two-day tournament, that's going to be right away. But uh, for the five- or six-day tournament, like in Las Vegas, we go out there a day early. Um, mm -hmm. There's a thing called road weariness. And, and for me, Scott... Jet lag for a lot jet of Jet lag, yeah. And, and time change. Mm -hmm. So we get out there. We always come out a day early so that we can settle into the time zone we get a chance to relax because the real fatigue of a 20-hour, 25-hour drive isn't the next day. For us, it's the day after that. Yeah. So we have to be extremely careful. But there's a lot that goes into the physical preparation of a five- or six-day tournament, not only mentally, but physically, and not only food-wise. Oh, how you eat's a big one. Oh, when you eat's a big hydrate. one. Hydrate. Sure. The one tip I would give everybody is, as an instructor myself, when I'm preparing for a major national tournament, I have no students for two weeks. I want my mind clear on the game I'm going to go play. The last thing I want is my mind cluttered with other students' questions, answers, and habits. And that's something that we've always uh, been on the same page about is uh, people trying to change what they do immediately prior to go to a, in a tournament. You mean you can't do that? Uh, you can't get it done. No, and, and, then, and then the second thing is this what you said. In, in the two to three weeks prior to any major tournament, I add nothing to my game. Now that doesn't mean I might learn something, but I'll, I'll postpone the learning part of it until I get back from that tournament. And, and you know, I usually go right to the end of most tournaments. And so fatigue, the proper eating, the proper sleep habits, your travel plans, 
And knowing when you play is super important because you might sleep in a couple extra hours if you don't have to go down and check the boards all the time. And you better be checking those boards because it has happened before where match times got changed and players didn't go down and, and check again and missed their matches. You know what's really neat, Scott? The major tournaments now post it where I can look it up on my phone. Yeah, or in your room. Yeah, I sit right in my room and, and just turn on their TV. Those are great. So just be careful. Uh, remember, here's your four in, in, in a nutshell again. Know the rules, read the boards, get your time, know the table you're playing at. You don't care about your opponent. If he's there, he's good. How's that? There you go. All right. I'm Scott Lee. Randy G. And this has been this week's One Minute Pool Instructor. Uh, join us next time when we'll be discussing finesse speeds. Oh, I like those. That's going to be a good one. Join us then. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com and joining me this week is New York City-based pool player Sean Morgan aka Alaska. How are you doing Sean? Good. Happy to be doing this with you. Awesome. Well thanks for being here. So for those who might not be very familiar with Sean, um, let's just talk a little bit about you know, how you got your start in pool and how uh, how you have uh, how you got your start playing in in New York City uh, obviously it started back in Alaska where I'm from mm -hmm. um, I was out of a pool room Northern Lights Billiards which was owned at one point by Mark Griffin um, I'm sure everybody knows who Mark Griffin is but sure. uh, he's definitely around in the early years from my uh, from when I started playing pool um, like everything else, I mean, Alaska was, the tournaments in Alaska, I won a couple tournaments and, uh, I felt like the scene had dried out for me mm -hmm. as far as money games and competition. And, uh, somehow luckily I met a person that was from here, New York. Um, we met, we went on our date exchange numbers and whatnot a couple weeks later she said if you ever want to come to New York you got a place to stay I felt or I knew in my heart like that was my tickets out of Alaska so I took it I got rid of my car my apartment my furniture everything quit my job came to New York with a bag of clothes and a pool cue wow. ready to take on the pool world it was exciting. It was really exciting. I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect or what to think. Even my mom thought I was crazy, but I loved pool that much, and I wanted more. So I felt getting or coming to New York would be a what better? One of the big, one of the biggest cities in the world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a pretty big leap to take. And with my own experience coming here from Wisconsin, it's a. It's a lot to take on when you're when you're from such a different environment. Yeah, definitely. Um, at that time, I was just ready. I felt ready. I felt ready to play with anyone. 
I was hungry. I wanted more. I wanted to compete. I wanted to be around the best players in the world. And right away, they had the the world 14-1 out of Roseland Ballroom. Yeah. At the time I arrived, which was perfect. I, you know, I got to see top pros for the first time ever in my life. Uh, Johnny Archer, Nick Varner, Efren Reyes, Earl Strickland, and. I was like a kid in a candy store, you know. I felt, I felt I was ready to play with these guys, but experience said otherwise. You know, you have to you have to earn your way to the top. Sure. What were some of the toughest parts about starting out fresh in New York, in, in terms of pool? Well, New York City, it's a culture shock. The pool was no problem. Playing pool, getting on the table is no problem. Going to tournaments, I wasn't interested in meeting anybody in the pool world. I was interested in winning. Right. And that, that's what I did, you know. Whether it was money games or tournaments, but being such a big city and surrounded by so many cultures of people, it was uh, it's kind of overwhelming. Right. Um, my first year that I was here, I did. I did get extremely homesick extremely i i couldn't wait to go back home i bought a, a round trip ticket for two and a half weeks because i thought oh yeah i'm going home i'm on vacation you know i want to be home for two and a half weeks i thought that was a long time uh -huh. but after the first few days of being back home i was like f this man i'm ready to go back to new york <laughs> you know <laughs> right then and there i knew i was a changed person new york right. has changed my phone up with the city and uh, I never looked back sin since. Been here, living ever. Been living here ever since. Were there any players or people in pool here in New York that were sort of influential to you, or that sort of uh, had an impact on your on your game or your outlook on pool? Um, obviously, um, George Ginky Sansushi. Um, being around him was I was. You knew you had to be on the top of your game. No matter what, you're in the same pool room. He's like the top god, top dog. Excuse me. He's like the top top dog, and you want to be the top dog, but you got to elevate your game. Yeah. You have to. You have to perform, and and I, I basically wasn't in, in, in his shadow for a lot of years, and I didn't mind that. It it kept me hungry. It kept me wanting more. It kept me, I guess, humble, so to speak. But when you when I when my game did start to mature a little and I'm, I was capable of beating him, and people start to recognize, wow, you know, or it's just it was um, well beating him in tournaments. Um, kind of uh, let, it was like a path it gave me a path it mm -hmm. gave me a destination right if I can beat this guy I can beat pretty much anybody out there as well sure but he was definitely a um, a big part of uh, the New York pool scene so if you beat him and you, you competed with him people saw that you beat him you know you were doing something in the game yeah for sure was there anyone else? Um, 
a lot of top players seem to stop in through New York, which I'm really appreciative of, like uh, Warren Kiyomko and Bustamante, and recently Earl Strickland lives here now. Sure. Um, the kid Wayne Can from China. Yeah, he was here for a few weeks. Yeah. Um, it's just Mika and Thorsten here at Amsterdam Billiards. Yeah. Having, just being around these guys is great. It makes you want to step up to their level. It's inspirational. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's also one of my favorite things about playing pool here in New York is that you do get so many traveling players like these top guys who come through and it's funny because being here at Amsterdam Billiards sometimes the the people that just come through to play casually will have no idea who they are and they're you know some of the best most notable players in the world and uh, people are just oblivious yes um there are a lot of a lot of uh, tough players, mm -hmm. local players as well, who yeah, keep absolutely. you keep you on your game. There's um, Danny Baruti who moved recently moved away. I miss him for for fourteen one obviously. Mm -hmm. um, Steve Lipsky is another top New York player. Um, Tony Robles, who does a lot for pool, Predator. Right. Um, Jason Shaw, who, who lives around, who lived here for about a year, but lives in Connecticut now. But it's it's just having this level of competition around is what keeps you sharp. Mm -hmm. It's what keeps you going. If you're gonna play with these guys, you better be on your game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, recently Tony also launched the uh, New York City Pool Championships, which they had the the first event the eight ball championships which you took uh, runner up to jason in that event how was that experience for you um affirming affirmation that i'm i'm on the right path mm -hmm. um i really didn't expect much going into this tournament which is probably new for me because you play with some of the some of the top players and you you don't do as good, but uh, I didn't like I said I didn't expect anything going in. I just prepared a few hour sessions of eight ball, whether mm -hmm. I practice with anybody or a player my level. It was just I just prepared. I didn't expect nothing, and obviously I did. I just things happened right. When you prepare, things go. Things happen. Good things happen. Yeah. When you prepare. And you had Jason on the ropes. Yes, the I first did. The, time that you yeah, the hot seat match was. It was definitely an exciting match. He had me uh, four zero. In a race to eight. I had made it six four me. And I missed a jack up, jacked up shot. Half a pocket. That made it six six. He broke, scratched. I ran out, got on the hill. I dry break, he runs out, then he breaks and runs out for the win. So that was that. Yeah. Hill, hill. I mean, the player like that, I can't complain. I had him uh, up against the rope and squirming in his chair. 
So that right then and there was uh, was good enough for me. <laughs> and it's so funny in those situations where just a f flick of a switch and the whole match can turn around. Yeah, I'll, I mean, all I can... For every little mistake that I had, I had made against a top player like him, I just had to... I have to then believe in myself that I'm capable of doing the same thing he does. Mm-hmm if not better. Uh, I told myself just stay in the game, stay in the game, capitalize on his mistakes, and I did. Which is... It makes me smile, knowing that I can, I can, my game that can rise that level. You put in the work, you put in the time, you get rewarded. <coughs> yeah, it was definitely uh, cool to see, cool to see the turnout for that event and nice to see a you a local player here do so well yeah i'm sure you, you've you've seen me through the years and i i like to think if i look back on what i'm doing i'm still climbing i'm still learning mm -hmm. um i'm still hungry what areas of your game do you think you're still developing the most? I think playing with these top players, traveling, competing with the best players is um, the break. The break is so important. Mm -hmm. With nine ball, 10 ball, eight ball, the break is probably the single most important shot in the game. If you don't have a break, if you can't break, then you've got problems. <laughs> You definitely have problems. You can't you can't start off uh, you can't start off a game on the wrong foot, and it's definitely the wrong foot if you're not in uh, in the right position right away from the break. True, very true. I know that I have the firepower to hang with these guys. I know I do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm gutsy. I if I follow my instinct on shots. If I feel I can go, I go and make it. Connect. I I go for it. No guts, no glory. Here's a question that I like to ask. Uh, w what do you feel like are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from from playing pool, from competing? Um, as competition rises and you start to play with the, the, the world's best players, you, you really learn that this is a discipline. Mm -hmm. Um... Diet and exercise is huge, which I need to start. I I don't want to be sluggish after a 12-hour day of competing, 17-hour mm -hmm. day. At the end, when you need to deliver, you need your energy. You need your stamina. Um, that's probably the biggest discipline, I'd, I'd have to say. Diet, exercise, eat yeah. right to compete. I think more and more people are starting to um, get on that boat to trying to be uh, a fully a fully healthy and have an all-around athletic perspective on the sport. And I think that's what's really going to change our generation of players is that once people start training and taking things more seriously 
in terms of their own uh, their own goals and their own uh, athletic ability, then hopefully there can be some some shift in the development for for pool as a sport and as a profession. What would you give as advice for pool players just starting out? You have to play. You have to test yourself. You have to pick out players that you think that are better than you, and you have to go up there and you have to say, "Do you want to play?" And you have to. If they beat you, no, you get back up. You challenge yourself. You play again. Mm -hmm. you, if you can't beat that player, move move on to the next player. Do you want to play? Let's play. Let's play. Keep playing. Push through the losses. Learn. Study the pl the players that you think they're a little better. You study what they do, how they do it. You pay attention to every little thing. Um, if you can afford to play a little for a little money, I would. There's nothing wrong with that. Play cheap. Play twenty dollars sets with better players. Mm -hmm. Don't ask or expect for weight. You just get up and you test yourself. Okay, so I got up and I played this player for twenty dollars a set. Races to nine nine ball. He beat me the first set. He beat me nine four. Okay, let's play again. I'm gonna try to get. I want him. I want it tougher for him. I want. Let's make it nine seven. Mm -hmm. Obviously, play within your means. You know, you um, you keep coming back for more, regardless of losing. You just stay in the fight. If you want this, go for it. Challenge yourself daily, every day. What events do you have coming up next? What's um, what's next for you? Well, there's the 14-1 qualifiers for the World Straight Pool, mm -hmm. and then the World Straight Pool, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Again, I, here in New York City, like I'm 10 minutes away from there. I can walk there practically. That's Happ awesome. Happening at Steinway. Yeah, mm -hmm. happening at Steinway, Birds and Astoria. Um, Steinway does a lot for pool and competition. We seem to be in the right place for competition. You know, I just. Let's get the players. Let's get all the best players here. Let's let's have a melting pot of all the best players in the world here yeah. now. Let's mix it up. Let's have fun with it. Awesome. Well, I really like that attitude, uh, and I think that that's what you know the beauty of New York is is that it is the really true melting pot, and you you do have so many great players like yourself and uh, like many of the others who come here to New York to try to make it and try to. Uh, be a part of pool and be a part of the bigger game so uh we really thank you for coming on the show this week and it was great to have you thank you Allison. i really appreciate this thank you cool well that'll wrap things up for this week i want to thank everyone out there for listening and tuning in and we will be back with you for next week's pool on the grind we will catch you then Hi everybody, welcome to another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week here on American Billiard Radio. Today I'm talking to Greg Kingsbury, the owner of Mile High Billiards in Arvada, Colorado. How are you, Greg? Doing very well, thank you. Good, good. I know you're busy, so we'll make it fast. 
don't you tell us a little bit about Mile High Billiards? Um, we're a fairly new pool room in Arvada, Colorado. Um, we have exclusively diamond tables. We have four nine-foot tables and 12 bar tables. We also have a 6 by 12 snooker table. And we have several leagues every week, tournaments, in-house, um, lots of good things going on here. Awesome. So, yeah, I saw that um, you've got, like, every league listed that I that I know of. And what about uh, weekly tournaments? What, are, what do you got going on? Well, we have a tournament on Monday night, which is a race to four with $100 added um, on the bar tables. And then on Friday night, we have a handicap tournament because they seem to run a little later. Um, that's a nine-ball tournament. And then on the first Saturday of each month, we have an eight-ball tournament, uh, which is a $250 added. seems to be drawing some pretty tough competition. First place usually gets around 500 bucks. Nice. And then on the third Saturday of the month, we also host a similar nine-ball event. Sounds good. Sounds like uh, sounds like your players are getting taken care of for sure. Well, we we try to cater to them. We we offer lots of leagues, lots of tournaments. Uh, we have a nice Mexican restaurant next door. Uh, we also have a really friendly, professional bartending crew and, and a great cocktail staff. Uh, so you, you mentioned that there's a Mexican restaurant next door. Um, do you guys serve drinks or anything in your bar? We have a full bar. We have ten beers on tap. And we have a great collection of vodkas and whiskeys, tequila. We have a lot of different options for your drinking taste, whatever that may be. <laughs> awesome. So uh, any other any other games or, or other entertainment or anything that you guys got down there? Well, we do have uh, several pinball games. We're in the process of getting some new foosball tables um, and getting some steel tip darts. Um, something we're hopefully looking into having here um, after the BCA championships in Las Vegas would be having the drill sergeant come here to do a pool school um, early in August, which we're real excited about. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like him and his brother are good people for sure. Yeah, he re He's a great teacher too. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't you remind everybody or let everybody know where you're located and how they can get in touch with you. We're Mile High Billiards in Arvada, Colorado. Our phone number is 720-456-7157. You can also check us out on, like us on Facebook, which gets a lot of our daily and weekly specials and monthly tournaments and whatnot. Um, you can also check us out at milehighbilliards.com. All right, great. Thank you, Greg. And, of course, you'll be able to find them. <clears throat> They'll have a limited profile up for right now on the Go Play Pool app, so check it out. It's free to download on Android and iOS, and uh, you'll be able to uh, get in touch with them and find out what's going on. And if we can get, a, get them signed up, then we'll have all of their weekly and, and monthly events and everything listed on there as well. So um, check that out. And uh, Greg, thank you for taking the time out of your day to get on the phone with me. I know I know you're crazy busy, so I'll let you get back to what you're doing. And uh, thanks, guys, for listening. And join us next time here on American Billiard Radio for another Go Play Pool app featured room of the week. Thank <laughs> you.
Hello, everybody. Welcome to another segment of AZ Billiards on American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton. I'm joined this week from way up north, uh, joined by Eric Horlifson. Eric, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm good. Um, now, you're up in Canada, and, and I have to apologize. Being in the States, I'm not as knowledgeable of Canada as I guess I should be. Uh, what part of the country are you in up there? Uh, I'm in Toronto, so we're we're very near Detroit. We're about three hours from Detroit, very close to Buffalo, kind of that uh, eastern part of Canada. Okay. For the fans who aren't as familiar with pooling Canada, and, and I would be one of them, can you tell us about the Canadian pool scene? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, we don't have a lot of cities that are over a million people, but, um, you know, I'm in Toronto, and we have a pretty good pool scene out here. Um, lots of weekly tournaments. We have our own regional tour. There's 16 events up here just in Toronto and in another uh, city close to Toronto called Newmarket. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in Montreal. There's a lot of uh, bar table stuff going on in Calgary and Edmonton. There's a lot of people playing up here, for sure, and a, a lot of guys that never leave Canada, you know, that just play around Canada, and great players, too. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't snooker a lot bigger up in Canada than it is here in the States? Uh, yeah, it's bigger, but, I, you know, I think it would be a myth to say that it's, sort of, it's the game that people play the most. Um, in, in provinces outside of Ontario and, and uh, Quebec, there's not much snooker at all being played. I mean, you, you could go to a province like Alberta and only find maybe 20 snooker tables left in the whole province. Um, but we definitely play a fair bit up in, in Toronto, and they're, they're trying to revive the game a little bit in Montreal. They recently had a tournament up there that was uh, 7,500 first prize, so that was, that was pretty big for a Canadian snooker. And there's still a lot of good players up here and a lot of you know guys that played on the pro tour in the past and they're still playing up here like cliff thorburn and bob chaperone and uh yeah guys like that you think that might have something to do with with alex trying his luck at, at snooker uh yeah i mean well i mean that's definitely interesting for us i mean you know i think it's something that could kickstart the game again and you know up here you know it's definitely part of all canadians have definitely have played snooker at one time or another so it's something that they're familiar with. It's just kind of, I think the game's kind of, you know, gone down a little bit because basically the rooms are taking out the tables. You know, it's more profitable for them to have pool tables in there than snooker tables. But, uh, you know, you're still going to find rooms where there's six to eight snooker tables in Ontario, and the main game they play in that room is snooker. So it's still something that can be revived up here. Now, you mentioned you guys have a tour up there in Toronto. Which tour is that? Uh, it's just called the 404 Tour. So we have no tour sponsor, so we just call it the 404. It's uh, the 404 Highway connects the two pool rooms that, that the tour is uh, run out of. And they have seven events at a room in Toronto called Shooters, and they have seven events at a room in Newmarket, Ontario called Big Wigs. And uh, we just had our finale events for that tour. So the regular season events are about a thousand first prize, and the finale events are about two thousand first prize. They usually draw between like fifty and sixty-four players to each event. 
It sounds like it would compare to something like the Joss Tour or the Predator Tour or something like that we have in the States. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, and it's very competitive. You know, John Mora plays on there. I play on there. Um, Mario Mora competes all the time. Uh, we draw players from, mostly players from all over Ontario. Um, yeah, it's just something we, we don't publish re- the results or anything, but, you know, during the winter there's a tournament once every two weeks, and they always draw more than 50 players, and it's handicapped. So it's handicapped by games. Um, so the lowest handicaps are racing to four, and the highest handicaps are racing to 11. Wow. Alternate breaks. Yeah, but, the you know, the, the good players are still winning more often than not, so I think that's that's a good thing for us, right? But, uh, yeah. Well, that would lead me to believe that they've done a good job setting the handicaps then. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, a lot, lot of hill-hill matches, and, you know, I, I feel like all the... The, the lower ranked players are, like feel like they have a chance to win if they play well. It's just that you know the, the good players are playing at a pretty high level right now, so we're we're winning a little bit more. But you know, seven handicaps win all the time, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a neat little tour. And we run we run all our weekly tournaments the same with the same format. So the four handicap being low and the eleven handicap being high. And who sets those handicaps? Um, it's just kind of like a, like an arbitrary thing. I mean, like the room is, or, or the, the tournaments are run by the room owners and the room owners run every tournament. So, you know, they know all the players and, you know, it's just kind of an unwritten rule. If you're doing well, you're going to get moved up type of thing. Right. So of course you're going to get a couple guys that are slipping through a, a little bit stronger for the lower levels, but, but, uh, you know, no one is two numbers off their true ability. Right. So it's always pretty competitive. Now, it sounds similar to a system that we use here in Arizona, and, and you wouldn't, wouldn't be aware of the system in Arizona, but something that we have happen a lot out here is nobody wants to be a medium whatever. You know, let's say you're a real good six. Nobody wants to be a low to medium seven. They want to be a real good six. Exactly. Do you have that same problem out there? Yeah, I mean, well, it, I, I don't hear many complaints, really. I don't, I don't hear complaints about guys wanting to get moved down, but the fact is that, you know, people that finish near the end are usually stronger for their handicap if it's not a good player, right? So, you know, you're going to get, like, a strong 7 finishing near the end, a strong 8 finishing near the end, even a strong 5 can finish near the end, but you're right, like, if you're stuck between that level of, you know, you were promoted, but maybe that, that one number is a little tricky for you right there, it's kind of, you're kind of stuck, but and you just have to get better, right? You know. Yeah, um, I mean that would be the right way to look at it. I mean, out here they don't, but mm-hmm. hopefully they do in Canada, and hopefully they can start doing that here in Arizona. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. There's there's not too many complaints up here. I mean, of course you're going to get your guys that people know are strong for their handicap, and of course complaints happen every once in a while. But in general, I think everyone's pretty happy, and they come out and. You know, there's always a good turnout every turn. There's minimum 50 players, right? And we've gotten closer to 75 a few times, too. So. Now, we, we talked prior to doing our segment, and you mentioned that Jim Weish has a room opening up up there. Right. So I, I think they're on schedule to open the first week of uh, July, and it's going to be 18 uh, diamond bar tables, six or 16 diamond nine-foots, and eight match like match quality snooker tables, 
probably about a 15,000 square foot room. So it's exciting for us. Well, I mean, with Jim running it, I would think it'll be very well ran. I would expect to see tournaments played in there. I'd, I'd love to have a room like that nearby. Absolutely. And, and you know, like right now in Toronto, there's there's probably only about seven or eight, like, good quality rooms, right? So um, this is something that's going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're going to cater to the corporate crowd and sports bar type atmosphere, but also something where, you know, obviously the equipment's going to be good and Jim's going to be involved there and good things are going to happen for a competitive pool and competitive players in Toronto too. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it for sure. Are diamonds the table of choice up there? Oh, not at all. No, like, I mean, there might be... There's there's one room in Ontario with all diamonds, but other than that, there might be like three diamonds in the whole province. You're going to find a few more diamond bar tables, but not really diamond nine-foots. A lot of, lot of gold crowns. Um, there's a Canadian manufacturer called Canada Billiard and Bowling, so they make a table called a black crown. It's, you know, it's a, it's a step under a gold crown, but... You know, the room we play at, Shooters in Toronto, has all gold crowns, nice gold gold crown threes. And uh, if, you get, if you go over to Quebec, um, there's a lot of uh, Canada billiard and bowling tables. But not many diamonds yet. Huh. Yeah. Now, you're getting ready to head off to uh, Doha for the World Nine Ball Championship, right? Yeah, on the 18th. Starts on the 21st. As long as I've known you, you've... You've been out there competing on the on the international scene at just about all the big events, haven't you? Yeah, I've been numerous times, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of the perks of being Canadian. It's uh, every year we have qualified spots for international tournaments. So, you know, when the World 10 Ball was happening, we had four spots. When, you know, we've always had four spots for the World 9 Ball Championships. Um, we've had qualified spots for the China Open since it, since it began and all the other international tournaments, you know, same for the women, right? So what we do is um, we actually have a national association. It's called the Canadian Billiards and Snooker Association, and they have a championship every year, 8-ball, 9-ball, and 10-ball. And um, the top qualifiers from those events are, you know, win, win qualified spots for international tournaments. So it's definitely something that, you know, if I was an American player, not that I'm not accomplished, or but I'm maybe not as accomplished as some some of those guys. I might not have been able to go right, but I've definitely had the opportunity to go over there a few times and play in those tournaments because of our association and being Canadian. So it's nice. And does the association does does winning the qualifier just get you into the tournament, or do they help defray the costs, or how does that work? Yeah, they they just take like a pretty sizable entry fee for all the national tournaments. So the top two. Um, places from each tournament win mostly like all expenses paid to the international tournaments. I know that as part of the WPA charter, any any member of the WPA is supposed to have a national championship. We don't have them in the U.S., but I noticed that you do in Canada. That's got to really be, you know, besides the opportunity to win the spots in the in the world championships it it has to be great to have that sort of a major event going on every year yeah absolutely it's something we look forward to it's you know it's a it's a prestigious title it's a national title right so yeah for sure and how i mean how many of those have you won 
Just one. I, I won my first one uh, this April. So I finished <laughs> second like three times. I finished in the top five maybe like ten times. But I, I finally won one in April. Well, that's surprising. I would have thought you had won quite a few by now. Yeah, yeah, I got second a few times. I finished near the end. I, more times than I could keep track of, but I, <laughs> I, I never won. So I won the 10-ball division this year, so it was nice. Very nice. Um, yeah. I, I know I've heard some of the pro players saying that they really, you know, after they come back from international events, they want to just play 10-ball because... It's been said that at at your level, nine ball can be too easy. Yeah, it's just you know, there's so much knowledge about the rack now, and uh, you know that's kind of some some of the stuff I wrote about in that instructional article that maybe you guys will be talking about it in a bit. And you know, there's a lot of knowledge about the ten ball rack too. But the fact is, with you know the ten ball break, you actually have to execute you know a proper break, you know, from the box, close bridge, you know, hitting the hitting the rack square. Of course, all those things are important in nine ball too, but the balls are just more wired on the break, right? So, especially with using magic racks now, you know, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy nine ball. I think it's really offensive, and there's seems like you're moving the cue ball a lot more, you know, from rail to rail. Ten ball's more, you know, kind of moving the cue ball around in the middle of the table. So, I really enjoy nine ball, but the fact is, it's it's just very offensive now. You know, I, I don't know what the you know, they just had the China Open. I'd like to see some stats on what the break and run percentage there was in the final 32, right? And you got to think it's somewhere close to 50%, right, for every player. Yeah, I would think. Um, I know they had real Internet issues this year, so there's a lot of information that we're not seeing yet out of that tournament, and I don't know if we will or not. Uh, but like you said, you talked or you mentioned the instructional article, and I, I want to get into that. But first, we're going to take a real short break, and then uh, I want to come back and talk to you about your your instructional article and the the lessons that you give up in Canada. Okay, great. Okay, everybody, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Eric Horlifson today. Um, we mentioned the instructional article that you're doing. It, it looks like it's a series, and you just got started with it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So um, a friend of mine from Cornwall, who uh, actually has a degree in journalism, started a blog um, about four months ago now. And I, he was a friend of mine from before he began writing, and I uh, started following his blog a little bit. And we had a tournament in Quebec about a month ago, and I got down to talking with him. And I really enjoy the quality of his writing. I don't know have you you have you read a couple articles that he's written? Um, you know, I've seen his name before, so I know I've read some stuff of his in the past. It's Marcus, right? Yeah. Yeah, Marcus. No, for anyone who's uh, not aware already, it's N O E. Correct. Yeah. Okay, and his blog is at straight-pool.blogspot.ca, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if there was an, a, a different way to get there or not. Yeah. You know, if you just if you Google search straight pool blogspot, 
that that would be an easier easier way for not writing it down or anything. But yeah, that's that's the URL, correct? Yeah. Okay, and I see your first article is about the nine ball break. Mm-hmm. Do you have? It says that it's a it's going to be a biweekly series. Do you have um, ideas already as to what you're going to write about in the future? Yeah, just lo- looking at writing articles that are going to be more. Um, Looking at advanced things in the game, not just uh, you know your run-of-the-mill instructional article stuff, like I like I was writing there with you know why how do you make the wing ball on the break right? I mean that's something that a lot of players would never really understand unless they've watched you know Joe Tucker's videos or you know been around pros that can explain that to them. So I think you know more articles along the lines of stuff like that. I think it's very valuable information. I mean. Beginning players can get the the basic information about stroke and fundamentals and stance and bridge and, and all that. I mean, you can get that anywhere, but I think you would be more suited. I mean, you've been playing at it at that advanced level for so long. Um, I think you have a lot that you can offer people. Uh, I found the article about the nine ball break very interesting. Um, now, I also saw on this site that you do instruction. Right, so uh, yeah, I've developed a pretty nice, uh, you know, following out here. I I first started teaching a little more. I actually got in a it wasn't a bad car accident, but I got rear-ended in a car accident about three years ago, and I you know was left with like pretty bad back problems and neck problems, and I kind of you know I, I don't know if you if you've noticed particularly, but I haven't really been competing on the international level in the last three years, and that's pretty much the reason. So I started teaching more and. I have taught in the past, but I've kind of took, taken it on more now as, um, like, you know, my main focus and pool. Uh, of course, I want to compete and I want to get out there to the, the bigger tournaments as well, but kind of taking more of a focus on the instruction. So, yeah, I've been doing that for a while out here and developed a pretty good following. It's nice. And what what is the range uh, area-wise that you will go for instructional, or do people just come to the room that you play out of? Yeah, ideally they're coming to the room, to, to, to shooters. I, I live right near the room, and actually the, the new pool room, is, it's called the Corner Bank, Jim's room, is going to be right near the, in the same area as well, so that's ideal for me, but I go within an hour radius, you know, I, I do that once a week or, you know, a couple times a week, just kind of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cities with over 100,000 people right around Toronto. Right, I mean the population of the province, and particularly like around you know the Toronto area, is almost like four million. So it's a pretty big area. And for people who want more information about uh, your lessons, where can they go? Uh, they can just right now just contact me on Facebook. I'm kind of just doing it all through word of mouth. You know, of course I have business cards and stuff that I hand out to my clients, but uh, I don't have a website or my own blog right now or anything like that. Um, I can. I can give you my email address. It's uh, my first initial and my last name at hotmail.com. So, yeah, anyone that's interested is more than welcome to contact me. And Okay. Well, it sounds great. Um, well, Eric, I appreciate you taking some time and talking to us today. I wish you luck at the World Championships. Uh, that's next week, right? Yeah, starting on the 21st, so leaving on the 18th. And, yeah, it'll be my first... Uh, First time out there in a singles event since the accident, so I mean, I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, I, I've been 
winning a lot of stuff around here. You know, again, a lot of the stuff around here isn't necessarily publicized as much as the American events, but yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. So hopefully I can get a couple of rolls over there. Well, good deal. I'm hoping uh, hope, hoping good things for you out there. And like I say, I appreciate you taking your time. I'll let you get back to practicing for the World Championship, and we will talk to you down the road. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Eric. That's okay. it, everybody. We will have another guest for you next week. Thanks.